and welcome to another episode of Wealth Planning Eliminated. I am your host, Teresa Marks, a senior wealth strategist at CIBC Private Wealth in the U.S. I am joined today by my colleague, Amanda Regnier, also a senior wealth strategist at CIBC Private Wealth. In today's episode, Amanda and I will discuss asset protection, from asset titling to thinking about insurance to more complicated structures. This is part one in our five-part series focusing on wealth protection and liability concerns. All right, let's get started. Many of our clients often ask us about asset protection. You know, maybe they're starting a business or they're just concerned about, Mm -hmm. you know, a potential creditor down the road. What are some options for them to consider as they think about protecting their assets? Sure. Well, from an asset protection point of view, titling can be a really effective sort of organic do-it-yourself strategy for protecting your assets. So when I talk about titling, I mean, how do you own your property? Mm -hmm. Is it in your own name or is it joint with someone else? If you're married, it can be really easy and convenient to just hold your assets jointly, especially if you're trying to protect against a totally unknown threat, right? You don't know if it's going to be you or your spouse who are incurring this liability. So it doesn't make sense for just one spouse or just the other spouse to hold the assets. If you hold it jointly, um, those assets can um, have a, a good level of protection. Now, if you and your spouse both engage in something that mm-hmm. uh, exposes you jointly to liability, it's not as effective. Uh, but that's really the first line of defense is titling, right? And then some assets are titled for us as retirement assets mm-hmm. versus uh, what we call taxable assets. So your retirement assets themselves have a layer of protection from bankruptcy. Uh, but not as much from liability creditors uh, that vary state to state. Uh, But your retirement assets have some protection of their own just because of the nature of the assets. So something else we often hear about, I think, is almost kind of the similar kind of do-it-yourself or Mm -hmm. kind of easy um, strategy is insurance, right? Different types of insurance to protect from, from certain types of activities. Right. So what kind of risk are you worried about and how can you protect it? So you have a teen driver in the house. Mm -hmm. You've got your collision and liability insurance. Check those limits. Make sure that they are high enough to actually protect what you have. Right. If the policy limit is a lot lower than your net worth, you're exposed. An umbrella policy can be an, an added layer of protection on that. Do you own properties? This kind of goes back to titling, right? Do you own properties that you rent out uh, on Airbnb or that you let your friends go stay at Mm -hmm. when you're not using it or anything like that? Do you own that property in your own name? And uh, what kind of protections do you have over it? So uh, sort of two ways to protect that. You can own it. Um, in a partnership or an LLC, especially if there's another member, um, you've got some some protection there. And that's that's not as DIY, right? That involves a lawyer. You need to create the entity. You need mm-hmm. to put the property into it, do a deed transfer. Uh, but insurance is the other really big factor there. Do you have um, liability and homeowner's insurance on that if somebody slips and falls on your rental property? If they're going to sue you for everything you're worth, um, does the insurance limits exceed your net worth? Mm -hmm. And who are they suing? They're going to sue the property owner. So again, if you have it in an entity, the property owner is that LLC. It's not you and everything else you own. It's only asset is that property if you've done it right. Um, And if you have multiple properties, you might want to have multiple entities, each one holding 
one asset. So you're sort of encapsulated there. So what about people that maybe might be active as on a board of directors or maybe they're an officer of a company? Yeah. What should they be thinking about there? Well, so you would want to make sure that the board itself has a good DNO, uh, directors and officers policy that is uh, covering all the members of the board and check with your own insurance carriers as well to see if your homeowner's insurance mm -hmm. has a rider or your umbrella policy has a rider that can protect you um, against claims arising out of your activities um, on one of these boards. And, you know, sometimes there's there's some uh, complexities if there's more than one policy, if the board has a policy and you have a policy, there may be a little bit of an order of operations about who covers and when, um, but it's it's good to sort of get it all on the table and understand how those policies work together and see if the worst happens, are you covered and to what extent? Mm -hmm. So what about trust? I know a lot mm -hmm. of times we look at trust both from protecting the individual's assets, mm -hmm. but I think even more commonly thinking about if you're ready to transfer assets to the next generation, wanting to make sure those mm -hmm. are protected. So how can trust help in, in, in that situation? Sure, well, the most straightforward formulation is an irrevocable trust of which you, the grantor, the creator of the trust mm -hmm. who's funding it with your assets are not a beneficiary. Um, if you've given something away completely and you have no claim to it and you have really limited means of, of adjusting the trust in any way, you can plausibly say, I don't have those assets anymore. They don't belong to me. They belong to a trust. Um, by the way, if you do that, update your homeowner's insurance if, right. so that the policy is covering the trustees um, and not you, the, the owner. You have to make sure the title owner is, is who's covered, not you, the former owner. Uh, but that's kind of an aside. So. Uh, that's that's the more straightforward. So that's protecting the grantor because they're giving the assets away, almost like the asset titling. You're kind of exactly. putting the title into another entity. Right. What right. about like, does that give protection to the beneficiaries as well? Well, sure. So you would say, why wouldn't I just give it right to my kids, right, right? Um, or to my grandkids? For the same reasons that the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how can I protect what's mine, you will just be giving them something that's in their own name that they're going to have to do some gymnastics around to protect. So if it's in a trust, the trustee is the title owner, um, the beneficiaries are the beneficial owners to, to the extent of their interest in the trust. Uh, but if you rear end a school bus or the trust beneficiary rear ends a school bus, either one of you can really uh, say, I don't own these assets, right? The trust owns it. I may have an income interest or I may have some other um, limited ability to access the funds, but I don't own the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So you've accomplished asset protection for two generations when you put something in a trust rather than hold it yourself or give it to them mm -hmm. outright. Um, there is another kind of a trust, a self-settled trust where you remain the beneficiary, um, at least to some extent, and you can have some asset protection and that's available in some states. Um, Delaware is kind of the most famous one. Um, Alaska, Nevada, and depending on who you are and where you live and what you're trying to protect against, those might be appropriate asset protections um, steps to take mm -hmm. for yourself. Now, some if you live in another state, you've got another, you've got a, a trust in a different state. Sometimes right. your home state may say mm, we don't yeah. really yeah. Uh, go along with that idea. So this is something. This is not a do-it-yourself. Right. <laughs> uh, you need a, you know, if you're talking about a Delaware trust, you need a Delaware trustee. You need an attorney who's drafted a Delaware trust before, mm -hmm. uh, and you need to go into it understanding that even if you are um, going to be a beneficiary going forward and it's a self-settled trust, you still really are giving up a lot right. of control and access. And that's true for all the trusts we're talking about. Mm -hmm. When you give something away, you're really giving it away. Mm -hmm. So 
um, look to all of the lines of defense for asset protection, uh, titling and insurance, um, and make sure that you're taking a step that's appropriate for your risk appetite and for your desire to have any ongoing control or benefit. Um, so, so like kind of, of balancing it, right? Not exactly. Kind of not doing too much asset protection to the point where you feel like, wait, I no longer have my assets. Right, right. Yeah. You can gift yourself into poverty. So right. now if somebody comes after you for everything you're worth and you're penniless, well, great, but you also don't have any money for groceries. <laughs> so, you know, make sure that you're that you're planning carefully. Yeah. So you, when we were talking about insurance, we touched a little bit on limited liability entities. Mm -hmm. So how do those typically work? And, you know, a little bit broader of a context than just property ownership, but what should people be thinking about if they want to maybe form that type of entity as an asset protection strategy? So um, an LLC can be single member or multi-member. Typically a multi-member LLC will give you a little bit more asset Mm -hmm. protection, whereas a single member LLC kind of is considered yours for a lot of purposes. It's not as strong of an asset protection um, system, but multi-member LLC means you and another person or another family member or business partner are members of this entity. You might use the vocabulary like shareholder or owner, but it's not really shares, it's membership interest, but it's you can think of it in a similar way mm-hmm. as holding shares of a, of a company. And the LLC is managed either by one of the members or by an outside manager, and they can make decisions about um, distributing income or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, that feature is really effective because if you own something in an LLC and it gets exposed to liability and they, they sue you for your LLC interest, if you don't have a distribution right, right. then they can sue you all day long. But until money comes out of that um, LLC to you, all they have is a charging order, which is kind of worthless um, right. until until the money comes out. And it'll be up to the manager to decide when or whether to make distributions. So it sounds like those really discourage creditors from trying to come after that yeah. because, you know, while while there might be wealth there, it's not the t- it's not like they're getting direct access to those right. underlying assets. Right. It's just the interest in the entity. Right. So the LLC has sort of two features that really um, deter creditors or defend against creditors. One is the fact that you can't demand a distribution. Right. Um, and the other is that it sort of encapsulates that particular asset from mm-hmm. all of your other assets. So if somebody gets hurt on your boat and your boat is owned in an LLC, they can't also come after your personal residence right. and your vacation house and your children's college funds. It's mm-hmm. really, they're suing the owner of that boat and that owner is boat LLC and it right. only owns the boat and it's only going to make distributions if the if the manager decides to make distributions. So it sounds like really to have effective asset protection, you're really looking at all the different strategies. Yeah. It's not a one size fits all. And often they're really working together, right? Like right. that insurance, you need to also have insurance at the entity level you know, or the trust level. Exactly. Really making sure that they all work together to truly protect the assets in the best way possible. Exactly. Exactly. You may in the end decide on just one of these strategies, but they all have to be considered mm-hmm. uh, together. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. We hope you found this topic interesting and that you will continue to explore the variety of wealth planning topics available to you on this channel. Thank you and have a great day. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC and the Private Banking Division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. 
Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only and may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.